Hey, Brazilian Dragon Squad. Have you ever wanted to start your own podcast, but you don't know where to look? Anchor is your solution. It's really easy to use, and it's also free, so it's the best of both worlds. You can record the podcast using Anchor's creation tools, or you can upload your audio when you have it all recorded elsewhere, and Anchor will do all the distribution for you. It's really easy, it's really simple, and best of all, it's free. Create your podcast today on anchor.fm. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Brazilian Dragon Podcast. It is me, Felipe, the Brazilian Dragon himself, and my favorite sitcom is Full House. Is it? Who knows? We'll figure that out. But today, we're doing a WandaVision and a Falcon and the Winter Soldier podcast. We're going to just chat. We all have feelings, and I am not alone. Multiple participants may pop in throughout this, this podcast, but my co-host, I'm taking them with me throughout this cinematic journey. Their favorite sitcom is Dinosaurs. It is Jay Manji. Jay, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And how did you know? Can you read minds? I I thought Davy Sinclair was kind of like Vinny. That's that's valid. Um, My cat does throw many a tantrum. And when I don't give him what he wants, he does scream, not the papa. Mm, See? But what is your actual favorite sitcom? Do you have that off the top of your head? I feel like the only one I can think of that isn't Full House is Modern Family. Okay. Um, and it it, it has Nathan Lane Nathan in it, so I can't be that disappointed. The voice of Timon? Yes. Uh, a gay icon. Um, surprisingly not Jewish. Hmm. Yes. So, Jay, this is, I believe, your first appearance on the Brazilian Dragon po- proper. So do you want to give a little introduction of who you are for any fake fans who don't listen to what you're doing as well? Yeah. So um, my name is Jay, and I am a social work grad student who is going to be graduating in a few short weeks. Um, I am a lover of all things reality TV, but it doesn't just stop there. I am also a huge comic book nerd, um, specifically about comic book history. Um, And the DC Marvel debate is not one that I will engage in. Um, But I absolutely love the history of comic books. And I'm really excited to talk about WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier with you. Yes. uh, I was trying to make a funny name for you, but I couldn't think of one. Ooh, uh, Jagatha? No. No. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I, I'm for Billy, and Jacob would be Jatami uh, if he was here, but... That's fair. We'll yeah. think of something along the way. Yeah. Um, speaking of Marvel news, did you see them uh, Miss Marvel costume? No, I did not. Oh, they did, like, there was a set photo uh, from the Miss Marvel set. I have been behind just because I'm doing some papers uh, this yes. week. Um, I'm almost done with my final papers. I just have a group paper to go. And then I'm I'm free to watch as many movies. You are a grad school graduate. Want. 
Exactly. Yeah. So give us your backstory on comic books, Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. So the first time that I was introduced to comics and comic book characters, it's probably as a little kid, my dad had some collectibles um, from when he was a kid. And then also um, my first PG-13 movie was Spider-Man. I was not 13 years old and I thought I was going to get arrested for going to see a PG-13 movie. And my parents had no idea I was afraid of this until literally a week ago when I told them. Um, but then as I got older and I started looking into the history of comic books, I found out that many of the beloved characters that we love, or beloved characters, um, are created by Jewish uh, comic book artists and writers. And I started becoming obsessed with learning about the history, um, particularly, um, particularly the history of the industry um, so I can go on about that for a long time, but then also there's some really great Jewish representation within the comic books as well, whether it's overt or sort of undercover. So if we talk about Superman, there is an allegory to Moses. Many people say that it's Jesus, but that imagery really only started to become popular in the 1970s with the TV show that came out. Um, but before then, the intention was for him to be a Moses type figure. Um, and then Captain America, who is actually someone we'll be talking about today, um, punched Hitler on the first cover of his first issue, um, which was very controversial to bring that level of politics into the entertainment scene um, at the time. And ever since then, I've also just been entertained by the various versions of these characters that we get to know and love. Uh, whether it's a ridiculous movie like the Hulk movie that came out before the MCU reboot, or whether it's something as amazing as WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, people in the Facebook comments saying this show was too political. You should just like get back at them being like the first issue of Captain America had him punching Hitler. What do you mean this is a, not a political thing? Uh, yeah. So uh, do you have a favorite character in the MCU and a favorite project from the entire span? So my favorite goes back and forth between, are we counting the Spider-Verse? Um, you can do like general Marvel character and then like specific to like the MCU so far. I just wasn't sure if that counted towards the yeah. MCU because it's animated. Yeah. But, okay. Is it Spider-Pig? No, it's Better actually Miles start. Morales. Oh, Miles Morales is an icon. I just really love all variations of Spider-Man, really. Um, but so uh, Tom Holland's Peter Parker, even Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker has a special place in my heart. What about Andrew Garfield? Um, I don't think I've seen those. So take my nerd card away. It's fine. Um, but I also really love the Hulk. Um, yeah. And I think there's a lot to analyze with like the duality of man and talking about how those two parts of him are always there and it's a matter of finding what works for him to be able to keep that intense those intense feelings and that power at bay yeah um this might be a hot take i kind of liked what ed norton did with his version of the hulk i felt like the the duality he like focused on the fact that like that obviously mark ruffalo is the better hulk i'm not trying to start a fight but I, just I do the think CGI. 
Ooh, the CGI was bad. Yeah. Um, but I, I did, I did appreciate what Ed Norton went for in that movie. Um, and then, so you said your favorite project was the Hulk. Is that what you said? No. Um, my favorite project I want to say is the Tom Holland Spider-Man. Um, I think it's a great introduction to having a young character in the series. Um, and being able to explore young people who get these powers and being able to just see kids being kids because children really are the primary audience for comic books and often have been or at least teenagers um i will say while we're on the topic of spider-man my worst fear because of spider-man is willem dafoe (laughs) (laughs) out am i he I can't look at pictures of him online. Um, he haunts my nightmares. My friend does text me at random intervals pictures of Willem Dafoe just to keep me on my toes. So um, thank you to Spider-Man, with Toby, the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire for giving me nightmares for the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, see, if you were going to tell me creepy villains, I thought you were going to say like Arnon Zola when he's in the computer in Winter Soldier. That would have been that would have been really really creepy for me. I don't I don't know why it just got me to my core but it's like that and go-go gadget are the two things that terrified me as a child and to this day i cannot enjoy put them in the closet with et and marvin harry and the gremlins and the gremlins and the leprechaun and chucky um yeah how how big a closet do you have there um well it's a kiva's closet and he has plenty Mm -hmm. of money so probably a big one um but yeah so in terms of my favorite project, I think as a whole, Black Panther is the most important project to come from the MCU. Mm. I, rest in peace, Chadwick. Still very upset about the Oscars this last week and um, the BS that they pulled. Uh, but in terms of my, I, I am a simp for the Tom Holland Spider-Mans. Uh, we stand. And at the end of this podcast, uh, I'll go through my rankings and tell you where I put WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier because I have that ready. Um, but... Let's start with WandaVision. Um, so what were your expectations going into WandaVision? So embarrassingly, I didn't know that it existed until after several weeks, um, Josh Wiggler had been tweeting about it and saying all these incredible things. And um, since I really trust his opinion as a comic book nerd and as just like a uh, television, like, writer and podcaster I was like okay I I guess I'll just start watching it and I'll probably like it but also probably be disappointed because I don't like what um the MCU has done to the Maximoffs but it'll be fine and it quite literally and took me until the end of the first episode to realize that vision Wanda vision is Wanda and vision see I have the opposite so the whole show went on I was like oh my god it's so obvious Wanda and vision but then, like, the week of the last episode, I'm like, oh, wait, wait, it's WandaVision because television. That's, I didn't get that. See, I was the opposite of probably. And I thought it was, like, Wanda's, like, vision of, like, what the world could be. Oh. And I thought, I didn't know the twist, but I was like, there, like, it just felt that there was something, like, maybe if she was creating a show about her life this would be what the show would be. Um, I didn't think that she was literally creating her own world, but 
maybe thought like, oh, this is just like a fun take on Wanda. And it yeah. wasn't, and the first two episodes really kind of just feel like a fun show. Sitcom, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think the, it only took until, like, I think it really took until the end of the second episode where she's like, no, where you're like, oh, there's more to this. And I think it was really smart of the MCU to put those two episodes together as the first one, because I think there's like a certain group of the audience that would have like dropped the show if they had to wait four weeks until the Monica episode instead of like two weeks or however many like in total because they dropped the first few the first two together and then the third separately so those three I think are their own sort of piece of the puzzle right yeah and I think it's really interesting what Disney plus is doing with dropping new episodes each week sort of like Netflix does with the circle um and for me I think that Falcon and the Winter Soldier I know that we're skipping ahead but the timing of that worked a little less for me yeah it was so action-packed whereas WandaVision it sort of I wanted more but I could wait a week because there was so much to digest there for me as someone who's just very invested in Wanda Maximoff ironically though like I wanted to binge WandaVision after every episode. I was like, no, I need more. Whereas the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I'm like, okay, I can wait a week. Um, and I think that's part of the problem with the the six-hour movie format that they really tried to go for with Falcon and the Winter Soldier because you could tell, like, it was like, okay, here's the end of this portion of the story. And then we pick up right where it left off. But, like, you've been away for a week. And even though there's a previously on, it feels like very, like, Ooh, like something's missing. Like it was like here's the hot quote of the week from last yeah. week, and it wasn't a whole previously on. But anyway, it was turning the dial back, yeah. Yeah, changing the, the channel back to WandaVision. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you talked about how you don't like what they had previously done with the Maximoff twins, specifically Wanda, because Pietro, besides WandaVision and Age of Ultron, we really don't get anything from Pietro. Um, uh, so do you want to elaborate on that topic a little bit? Sure. So if you haven't heard by now, I'm Jewish. Um, And technically, so are the Maximoff twins. Uh, They're also Romani. Um, So basically, the way that that works is uh, Pietro and Wanda's father is um, Magneto. And Magneto is a Holocaust survivor. um, And he was in the camps because he was Jewish. Um, And that's canon in the comic book so hopefully we're following at least lineage there i mean the first x-men movie starts with magneto in the holocaust camps yeah but there's some controversy regarding whether the x-men count in the M- in the mcu no yeah so. but like as a character magneto yeah canonically a holocaust survivor yeah and then their family that they and then the family that they grew up with apart from hydra apart from uh Magneto was Romani and they're also Romani so those are two strong two minoritized groups um, in Europe and around the world um, that have their own history of oppression and have been the subject of genocides and there's a and since grief and finding power in yourself and your own identity is such a core part of who Wanda is especially in the MCU I found it hollow that that aspect of her character wasn't there. And furthermore, if taking WandaVision out of it, the fact that 
Wanda and Pietro were involved with Hydra in any way, shape, or form, regardless of if they volunteered, hits a, a raw nerve for me because Hydra is very clearly an allegory for the Nazis. Um, I mean, they are Nazis. Yeah, well, yeah, they are Nazis during World War II. And then, yeah. yeah. And so to have two characters who are canonically a pra- like a, they would be murder victims of the Nazis, uh, volunteered to join their ranks, felt strange and there didn't seem to be enough of a reason why just because their home was destroyed and their family was destroyed by Tony Stark and the Stark weaponry. Yeah. Um, it just didn't, that doesn't seem like enough of a reason for somebody to literally sign up to join in the ranks of someone who put their father in a concentration camp and murdered the rest of their family. Yeah. I'm not defending that, that choice, a storytelling choice. Uh, I do know that there was like a ton of right stuff going on. Uh, so like the Magneto portion of it might've been hard to like explore at the time okay. but now with all the I, I don't know what the timeline was when this show was like super in development because I know Falcon and Loki those two shows were like in development at least like a year before Endgame came out but I don't know what the WandaVision timeline was because this was originally yeah. supposed to I think it was supposed to start airing around this time and then Multiverse of Madness would be like this month um in a yeah. in the multiverse where the pandemic didn't exist let's just yeah and yeah. i get the like not including magneto part because like also how are you going to add that into a movie or tv show that's already so long yeah they aren't necessarily the main characters of ultron etc um and part of the reason that they chose uh elizabeth olsen and aaron taylor johnson yeah and aaron, aaron taylor johnson was because they said that they had some name recognition and while Elizabeth Olsen might have last name recognition, um, this was really her first major project that, besides like the Godzilla movie that she also was in. Hey, how Aaron. dare you besmirch, besmirch the Mary Kate and Ashley movie. movie she was in. True, but this was like their first solo movie that she did super well in. And you were telling me, and sure, there might not be a ton of Romani actors to choose from that you know of. Great time to increase representation. Um, or you can find any Jewish actors or actresses at all. Um, not to say that I dislike either of their performances. I think that, uh, I think Elizabeth does an incredible job. Um, and from what we see of Aaron, I'm sure he, like, he did a great job too, but we don't see him for long. Yeah. Um, but it's just sort of the continued erasure that exists throughout the MCU of various uh, minoritized identities, um, unless it's for a very specific purpose um, that often feels like a, look, we can recognize that this identity is important too, except for Black Panther, because yeah. Black Panther was like perfect all around. Yeah, no, I'm excited for the next few phases because I feel like they're really going to try to do better in that. That's at least my hope and desire based on the projects and the works. Like have, uh, Shang-Chi, I'm excited for that one with the Asian representation. You can't get me started on how excited I am for America Chavez to yes. be in, in the MCU. Um, 
but uh, I'm excited to see what they do. But it like respecting how amazing Elizabeth Olsen is in the role, like that would have been a better choice to like have someone of Romani and Jewish descent playing um, Wanda Maximoff. And I will say that they're also uh, increasing their diversity and representation behind the camera too. Yeah. Um, the writing team for Falcon and the Winter Soldier um, included two of the main writers who were um, black, who are black. Um, and dead, they, I know my brain is, my brain is in paper mode and all my papers are in past tense. Um, so two of the writers are black on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There are a lot more women uh, writing in the, in WandaVision and in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. And they've made some announcements about like upcoming like like women writers as well. And even in like future projects, like in terms of like Chloe Zhao is directing directed the internals. It's like created. It's just in post right now. But um, like they have been really focused on bringing different talent behind the camera and in front of the camera as well, um, which I'm excited for. Uh, hopefully that means good things going forward. Um, it's like I'm excited for Miss Marvel because. It's an all South Asian cast. I'm excited. And uh, uh, Miss Marvel is Muslim, if I remember correctly, right? I believe so. Yeah, so uh, more representation. I mean, we can talk about it. Billy is gay. Tommy is bisexual in terms of the Wanda children. Um, so LGBT representation will also go up, hopefully, with as well. America Chavez. And um, we've got to assume Hulkling will show up eventually for Billy to find his husband. But... And you know who needs his own show? Jimmy Woo. Jimmy Woo. See, I think Jimmy Woo and Darcy should, they should do like a, an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. sort of show on them. Like, I mean, you could just give me a monologue in front of the camera that's just Jimmy Woo, and I'm intrigued. I loved that we got so much of his character throughout the show as well, um, because I was really worried that they were in the first the first couple times we saw him that it was going to be one of those things of like, oh, you get introduced to this like outside agent and then something happens to them for dramatic effect. And I just fell in love with his character throughout the whole thing. He's like goofy, but also, you know, has a, it's just really cool. I yeah. liked him. I do love the little touch at the end. Like, so in episode two, they're doing the magic show and uh, Vision's like flourish. And then when Jimmy Woo um gets out of the handcuffs he's like and flourish and he's also a magic guy because of ant-man and the wasp that whole arc like i really love what they did with jimmy Woo and darcy um we haven't talked about the co-lead of the show yet vision what do you think of vision's journey and also like what do you think of wandavision as a whole like as a show like we talked about the backstory with wanda and vision um wanda and pietro but like what do you think of the show in itself besides like i know how you got into it but like what did you think um so I think I, I rewatched the finale today just to get that feel, those feelings back. And there's a point right before we deal with um, Monica and Jimmy Woo and everyone outside of Wanda's created world, right when it's destroyed. And it and Wanda and Vision say their goodbyes and say that. And it was just a very powerful moment. And I think that this show was while we don't know if 
the story of Vision is over, especially with the end credit scene, we this felt like a goodbye and felt like a closure to a chapter yeah. um, in a really poignant way because I think that we didn't really get to invest too deeply into Vision uh, prior in the MCU, um, but we got enough to care about him and we didn't get a proper send-off. Um, and I do think that there are lots of loose ends that when you have a universe as big as the MCU, you can't always tie those loose ends up. Um, but they did a fantastic job in doing that in this show. And I also think that it was such an interesting ex exploration of the Scarlet Witch and her powers. Yeah. Um, and also I think the styling of it was just really great. I think having each episode in, in a distinct style kept me on my toes and kept me interested. I wanted to know what was happening next. Um, and also, it added something to the show instead of being a distraction, which I really appreciated. Yeah. One thing that I loved, though, were the commercials. And I didn't figure out until the end that it was like, oh, these are just parts of her life. Because all the time I was like, is Hydra coming back? Like, I don't know what's going on. I thought there was going to be more with the commercials. Like, something was going to happen with the commercials as well. Um, and I feel like there wasn't, like, I enjoyed them now that I can appreciate what they were doing. But at the time, I was like, I want to know what these commercials are for. Like, what are the point? And then, like, for, like, two weeks after the finale, I was like, I wish they did more with the commercials. But after, like, it sunk in, I was like, oh, I like, they were just, like, being cute and, like, uh, like making their own sitcom world. Yeah, and I think there are two different ways that you can view WandaVision. And one of them is an installation in the MCU where we're furthering along the plot of what happens with the Scarlet Witch and with Vision. Um, and with all of these various agents. And the other is a character study. And I think that this is really a deep dive into one person, which we haven't really gotten in a while in terms of like, I mean, we have like Captain Marvel and we have like newer like movies about one hero. Yeah, I feel like Iron Man 3 is the last thing I can think of that was like very focused on the inner yes, dialogue. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Um, and I feel like WandaVision gives us that opportunity, although sometimes not directly. Sometimes you have to sit there and think about it and be like, what are these commercials for if they're not serving a point in the plot? And it yeah. is that they're serving a point in the plot, and that is that she's com compartmentalizing different parts of her life and different parts of her grief um, into separate small pieces so that she doesn't have to feel it all at once, um, which is, as a social worker who has run a, gr a grief uh, support group for the past year uh, I've learned that that is a very common thing that people do um, and it can be very helpful and it can be very self-destructive and we see sort of both with Wanda yeah um, we gotta we gotta touch on Catherine Hahn and I, we can lump in Evan Peters in this discussion too but uh, Agnes Agatha and uh, Theatro slash Ralph Boner um, what were your thoughts throughout the show of what they did with those two characters? I still don't know 100% what to think about Agatha, and I think that's genius on the writer's part. Yeah. Because there is so much to her, and I could see a future where... Um, oh, Agatha's coming back. Yeah, mm -hmm. I can see a future where she like gets her memories back, though, where she's yeah. like broken out of this spell that Wanda put on her and like seeks her revenge and that's very basic but like I was like there's no way that this is the end of her 
but I also, I want to know every, I want a whole movie, like at least two hours where we get to get more of that backstory from Salem and we get to understand what the Scarlet Witch is because we got a brief introduction, but we didn't really explore like the history of Scarlet Witch because it seems to be a title almost like Black Panther is a title where there could be one in every generation. Almost. Yeah. Do you think they should do like an Agatha show? Like a six hour Agatha like prequel series? Only if they were going to do it in the way they did WandaVision and not if they did it in the way of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, if they did it, that was more character based and less action, like yeah, kicking, driving. Like an more. origin story, like series. like Yeah, if it was backstory. her origin story and it was really focused. And I, I also wonder if this is a gender thing that we get more inner thoughts with Wanda and we explore her inner character more and we don't get that with uh, Bucky and Sam in the same deep, multi-hour way. Yeah. Um, so I also wonder about that. But I think, I'm not sure if right now is the time because we haven't gotten enough Agatha in her current state to get her backstory. Yeah. And at the same time, like maybe that makes her more sympathetic as a villain and maybe that complicates the later narrative. So. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe Agatha in the comics is like not an anti-hero, but she's like she she fluctuates between like good and evil, right? So she's like Wanda's tutor slash like teacher, but also like a babysitter for the Fantastic Four children, like um Reed Richards and Sue, their their mm-hmm. children. So like I think she could come back in the Fantastic Four, like maybe like that could that could uh, like untap her memories in some way. Like, who knows how she'll come back, but I'm excited to see what they do with Agatha. Um, and I hope she comes back because Catherine Hahn, what an icon. And so incredible. And Agatha all along is probably like the cultural touched stone of the year so far. Yeah, I've seen some really great TikToks um, to that song. Yeah. Um, and the guy who voices Schmitty from uh, Quiplash. Um, which is a Jackbox game. Uh, um, community. He made a song and it was like, who's been messing up everything? It's been my dumbass all along. And it's just the millennial anthem, really. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the whole, like, Ralph Boner, uh, Evan Peters? Like, what, at what point, so what episode did you get into WandaVision? Because that might, like, influence, have influenced your thoughts. But, like, for me, I had found out, sadly, about him showing up, like, with a few episodes, like, maybe episode three, like, because there was some Spanish actor um, mm-hmm. who does the dubbing for Evan Peters's Quicksilver, and he was attached, and he, like, made an announcement, and then that, like, made its way into the post-show recaps Discord somehow, and, like, whatever, it happens, but, so that wasn't a surprise to me. I was just, like, kind of waiting for the inevitable to happen, but what did you think? I wasn't spoiled on anything, but I think I came in on the Halloween episode, that the week the Halloween episode aired. Okay. That's um, my favorite episode of the whole show, the Halloween episode. Same. Yes. Okay. Um, and I had no idea. And I was very confused because of the whole rights issue around X-Men versus the MCU. And could Evan Peters technically join as his 
version of Pietro when sorry Drake... it's Peter my apologies I'm kidding I'm kidding we're we're Anglo-Saxon here yeah um but yeah like could he join as his former Quicksilver character um and it was very confusing to me until the reveal um uh, because I couldn't think through it um and I was like is this person like like is it canon that there's like a multiverse is it canon that the x-men films exist within the mcu and someone is trying to trick her and like con her by being her brother and it's like someone who has like a combination of like quicksilver and like some mind reading power or something yeah um the multiverse was my biggest theory but when i found out it was it was agatha all along that's when i obviously understood yeah so i think a lot of people were like, oh, this is a multiverse thing or like he's being controlled by someone else. Um, a lot of people thought Mephisto was involved in some way, which kind of like got old. But now the memes of like in Falcon and the Winter Soldier when they went like the Mad reports, like, oh, Mephisto's going to show up here. Like I, I loved all those. Like anytime someone's like Mephisto's going to show up. And then when Mephisto actually shows up, people are going to be like, oh my God, <laughs> like what the fuck? But I, I liked it. I know a lot of people had like issues with it, but at the end of the day, like they got it. They like, whatever, like fan service like they got people talking. Um, and I think I, I wonder if that's the end of Evan Peters in the MCU, but who knows? Maybe he'll like, because how did he get his powers? That's what I want to know. Ralph or? Yeah, Ralph. I was under the impression that Agnes or Agatha gave him those, like with magic, gave him sense. the powers. Um, and that without her, he is essentially just a normal human being. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so we can't finish talking about WandaVision without talking about three characters that we haven't talked about yet. Billy and Tommy and Monica. And also we can talk about Hayward, I guess. Um, who do you want to start on? Okay, let's start with the twins. Okay, those two children were so precious. Billy must be protected, especially... Like, he was adorable. The other guy, like, he was the bully brother. So I was like, oh, uh, stop bullying him. But uh, I, I, I love them both. I'm excited. I hope they keep these two actors. Like, they can be, like, the young, young Avengers because I really enjoyed them. At first, I didn't like them because in the first episode they were in, they were, like, actively, like, child acting. Oh, we got Miss Navi joining us. Um, but we got Hello, Navi. Um, they, they intentionally made them act horrendously as child actors in the first episode they were there because it was like the, the trope. Hello, Miss Navi. Hello. Hello, we're talking about Billy and Tommy. Do you have any thoughts? Um, Billy was robbed and Tommy is an a-hole and he deserves everything he got. Did he you watch the show? Wiped from existence? Yes. You watched the show? No. <laughs> See? <laughs> now Navi's just here to hang. She she didn't watch the show, but she she will watch them eventually. But Navi just wants to be a supportive friend and be on the podcast, right? Yes. Well, so you what are we all talking about? <laughs> so we're talking about Wandavision right now. Um, mm-hmm. So Navi, what is your favorite sitcom? My favorite sitcom. I don't know. I guess recency bias. I'd say like either The Good Place or Shit's Creek. Okay. Really good. 
I was big into Seinfeld. WandaVision energy, I feel like the good place. It does for sure. Uh, I mean, granted, I haven't watched WandaVision, so I don't know how much of that energy is there. But like one thing I wanted to ask you both is that as someone who's like, I would say a MCU like casual, like I'll go to the opening nights for most of the movies, mostly because they usually fall like on my birthday weekend anyway. I, I noticed that like as time has gone on, they've sort of become kind of like formulaic and like sort of samey. So I was wondering if what Wanda Vision brings to kind of break from that same sort of feel or tone that the oh, movie. Oh, I got had. you. Mm-hmm. So, um, since we actually talked about this a little bit earlier, but there are two ways that you can view Wanda Vision, and for, in my opinion, and one of those is it tell it's a plot driven where it's plot driven. We're finding out what happens to Vision. We're finding out what's happening behind the scenes. Um, with some of the other agents and we find out more about Wanda's powers um, and the other way that you can look at it is it's a deep dive into who she is and why she is the way she is and we often see how people's powers enhance their lives we see how Iron Man how, being Iron Man literally saves Tony's life um, we see how being Captain America takes uh, Steve from being a wimpy small child uh, to basically being the American dream, take that for what you will. Um, and then we see Wanda and we finally get an understanding of why she is the way she is, um, which is especially necessary because they took away parts of the Maximoff's backstory that otherwise would have explained her connection to this intense grief that feeds into her powers. Um, also, it has commercials within it, but commercials within the universe of the show that like provide some levity and you're like, what the heck is that? Um, but in a good way. And they serve a purpose, but not a big purpose. They're more just little Easter eggs. Um, and I really like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like WandaVision, if anything, is not formulate compared to the other stuff because it's like very formula breaking in terms of both television and like the mcu okay Uh, i see yeah and Uh, would you say that like with the one season that we've had of wandavision it like is good enough to stand on its own or did it like sort of hang on a cliffhanger where it's like watch show next year oh it's very it's very like the the story ended at the end and then they could like I don't know if they would do another season of WandaVision. Actually, if I, I think if they did another season of WandaVision, I would only want it to be like the sitcom episodes as like sitcom episodes with like shenanigans mm-hmm. happening. Cause I don't know if there's like a story they can pull like with the format that they did. Like I don't, maybe like they can, but I don't know if Jay has thoughts. So I think that another thing about WandaVision is you can be a casual MCU person and still understand what's going on. Um, there are some references to other things that happen in other movies, especially with uh, Monica um, and some of the other characters like Darcy. You might be like, who's Darcy? I don't remember her from Thor. Um, although if you don't, that's on you. Um, but you could watch it and just go through it and you still get a lot out of it. And if you know more things, obviously you get a different, you get different things out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think WandaVision is the most culturally relevant 
the MCU has ever been. Like people who have never touched a Marvel movie or only watched like the first Iron Man and maybe besides the first Black Panther. Besides Black Panther as well, but I think WandaVision like broke so many like molds. Like it, I think it's gonna be besides Black Panther, WandaVision will be like the most relevant. And I don't know if there's gonna be a, another project that tops it until unless it's like because of a diversity like we we squat up we all go to the movies and watch this movie like shang chi like we would mm-hmm. all go see that um but like in terms of like the formula itself i think it might have been the most groundbreaking yeah i wonder if marvel studios will take like the right lessons from this and allow their directors to have more creative control over their projects um i know a lot of people said oh you know thor ragnarok like taika watiti was able to do what he can but I don't know. It still felt very like Disney, like Disney sort of sanitized that project and kind of took a bit of his personality out of it. So I would be interested to see if it was the same for the showrunner of WandaVision. Yeah, as well. so I think the showrunner and the director both had like their hands on this one. And I think Malcolm Spellman had his hands on it. But I also think that Kari Skoglin had her hands on uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which might have been a hindrance. Like we can talk about that based on some interviews mm-hmm. and some stuff that I've seen since but yeah I've heard that Falcon and Winter Soldier is kind of more like follows that same sort of tone that the regular movies have so yeah Yeah. and I think the other thing with WandaVision just going back to like will there be a second season I could see it being a bridge into a multiverse where um do you mind spoilers I'll probably forget well there's an end credit scene uh there's an end credit scene where Tommy and Billy are asking or calling for Wanda to help them, but they no longer exist in our version of Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she well, can hear them, and I wonder if a second version of Wanda, a second season of WandaVision, could explore that, possibly. Um, but I think it would also probably be like that would be the last season because well, it would sort of want- tie into that like rumored. Uh- well, kind of rumored and kind of not really rumored Spider-Man um, yeah. sort of sequel. That we- and <laughs> Doctor Strange, I think, are like the next follow-ups for the WandaVision plants that they had. Because even like mm-hmm. the, the head writer, Jess, Jack Schaefer, was like, yeah, uh, I only knew, I had a few conversations with the Spider-Man team and with the Doctor Strange team, like the next Doctor Strange. And I think WandaVision specifically is like leading into Doctor Strange too. Yeah. Madness. So I think we're not getting a, like a Wanda focused project until after that. Mm-hmm. Um, like if it's, whether it's a TV show or a movie, like honestly, like I, I don't know what's going to happen, but you have to assume that both Billy and Tommy are coming back if they're trying to set up the Young Avengers. And I do think, again, I've said this already to Felipe, but I do think that gender plays a role in how the story of Wanda was presented as opposed to how the stories of similar story of grief and pain in Falcon and the Winter Soldier were presented. You see more of an internalized version of that in WandaVision and more externalized uh, grief in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which matches patterns of grief along uh, binary gender lines uh, in research, but at the same time really robs the characters of the opportunity to be fully human and fully really accept their grief um mm-hmm. which we can get to when we talk about uh bucky going to therapy and all of that yeah. stuff 
even with like Monica, who I freaking adore, give Tiana Paris all the flowers, love her so much. I'm so excited for her in Captain Marvel 2, and then she better get more shit to do because she is an absolute icon. Very sad that they killed off Maria Rambo because I also really liked, I'm going to Google her name. I want to say it's Lashana Lynch, um, who did Maria and, yeah, okay, Lashana Lynch. Uh, she was Maria Rambo. I really loved what she did there. And then also Akira Akbar, uh, who was young Monica, but I am obsessed with Tiana Paris. I am so excited to see what she does. And like, is she our first black woman superhero in the MCU? I believe she is, right? Because I know, I know Shuri and Okoye and Nakia, they're all like superheroes, but they don't have superpowers. And then Gamora is not a black woman in the cosmos, I guess. She's, she's like a different alien race. So I think it depends on how you define uh, the Black Panther's powers. Because much of the, what the Black Panther is able to do is aided by Shuri and other, yeah. other creators' inventions. Yeah. And it really comes from the vibranium. Um, and so I do think that you could call them heroes. I, I think they're heroes they, 100%, but like- but I don't think like that they count as like main character superheroes. But at the same time, like Tony's really smart. Is he a superhero? Because he doesn't have powers. He has technology. Yeah. Is Batman a superhero? Because he doesn't have powers. He has technology. True. Is Falcon, a, uh, is Captain America a superhero? Like the new I, one? Because he doesn't uh, have powers. He just has a shield and, a, and the wings. Right. I I, went, I was like, don't come for Steve because I will come for you. But, <laughs> but the new one, no, for yeah. many reasons. I, I'm just obsessed with Tiana Paris and I'm so excited to see what she does. And I thought... She was such a, a revelation. Like, I, I know that she's been in other projects, but I think that I'm excited for like her career and to see where it goes now. I think she was phenomenal. She can, she can do comedy. Like episode three was such a standout moment for the show, but then she can also like do incredible grief work. Um, Cause that was like the, the other part of the story. It was like Wanda's grieving, but so is Monica because she lost her mother during the blip. Um, like, her her mom died two years into the blip and Monica comes back three years later. Um, so that's just like incredibly tragic. And I don't know, I'm excited to see what she does and how she plays it. And I, I want to know what the beef is between Carol and Monica, um, Carol Danvers, because they seem to have, there's some tension there that I am excited to explore in the future projects. Um, did we talk about Billy and Tommy? Because I know Navi joined right in, but I love them. They must be protected. Um, and I'm excited for them, and I'm excited for, like, I like that Billy is basically Wanda, and Tommy is basically Quicksilver, but, like, we stand them, and, oh, I think I remember what I was saying. I didn't like them at first, because they tried to play them into the, like, bad child actor mold, but then, like, episode six, I love them, and, like, as it kept going, and, yeah. Not to be that person but I was like why are you adding children into this you're they're going to distract from the main plot like and I knew Billy and Tommy right like I knew who they were but I was like we don't need this right now there's so much more to figure out there's so much going on we don't need them and then once they like aged up to like not be babies I was like okay I love them yeah I'm excited I I, I would have thought you were like okay 
once they aged up, I, I didn't realize you were talking about the young versions. I thought you were talking about like the men in general. But I was like, Jay, how can you hate on two LGBT children? No, I just hated on two LGBT babies. <laughs> to oh. be clear, I am a very queer person for those of you uh, who I haven't met. Yes, which I'm is probably a lot of the listeners. But um, any final thoughts on WandaVision? Uh, do you want to talk about Hayward or no? Besides he sucks? Yeah, he just sucks. Um, yeah. I just think that we need more Wanda Maximoff. We need more deep dives into characters in general, but especially we need more content for our non-male characters. Um, I'm yeah. really excited to see all the projects coming up that center them. Yeah, no, I'm excited for Eternals and Shang-Chi. And I don't know, I, I didn't look at the interview that Kevin Feige and Chloe Zhao did about who the focus of Eternals is, but if it's Richard Madden, I swear. Like, give it to one of the women, give it to, give it to one of the people of color as like the focus, but who knows. Um, anyways, like I just enjoyed WandaVision and I really enjoyed it. And I think Navi, you would definitely enjoy WandaVision more than Falcon, if I'm being honest. Um, and I think you should give WandaVision a chance because if people, if my mom watched WandaVision, I think anyone can watch WandaVision. Yeah, I'm looking forward to eventually getting to WandaVision. Um, one of the things that like in the movies themselves that I felt was kind of missing from her character was because like, you know how they had to kind of write off the whole thing of like, oh, she's actually her and Quicksilver are magneto's like kids in the comics because they didn't have um the x-men is at that point so like they didn't have a whole ton to like fully flesh her out so i'm glad that she got her time to shine in the tv show and that people really received it well i'm glad to finally watch it in like 10 years yeah so uh i do i I was kind of sad that aaron taylor johnson didn't get to come back to the role like i i was a quicksilver fan like that's one of the things that i really enjoyed about age of ultron it's that uh, Quicksilver, like not even Wanda as much, but Quicksilver, and then the the hammer scene. Those are like the b- big standouts for me of that movie. Uh, but and James Spader and his performance. I was surprised we didn't see him. My my preseason hot take was going to be that we were going to see Carl Mordo from Doctor Strange show up in some mm-hmm. capacity. Oh, boy, I whiffed that one. Um, but I want I wanted to go for like the hot take uh, prediction, and if I got it right, I would have seen like genius. But yeah. Um, turning the page to Bucky and Sam, um, Jay, start us off with your history of the Captain America comments. You are Captain Jamerica in the chat as Navi is Navibula, like Nebula, um, and I'm Fabili. So I think that my history with Captain America really is less than with the other characters, just is more recent. Um... I, when I was creating some programs for a Jewish organization I used to work for, I was trying to find research into um, like Jewish representation in Captain America. And basically all that I found was like the immigrant experience is truly encapsulated in Steve's uh, backstory, which it is, Um, but it's more so Irish American immigrants. most of whom, if not all of whom, were not Jewish. Um, But I became really interested in the fact that he has such a political stance and he seems to be very different from America that we as this universe, this world, the real world, so to speak, uh, 
our America is very different than the America, America that Captain America tries to represent. Um, and in the comics and in the movies, and even when we see this new Captain America take over, we see that it's not just about having the serum or the shield. Um, it's truly about the character of the person. Um, and I do think that it, while very whitewashed in appearance um, and very like, you know, Aryan in appearance, otherwise Captain America really represents like a, an, an America that doesn't look like the America that we have today. Um, physically he does, but his, his heart and his morals seem to be more on the progressive side and it drew him closer into my heart. Um, that and the fact that my friend is a huge Stucky fan. Stucky um, as in Stephen Bucky, not Sucky yeah, as in not Sarah Stucky, and Bucky. But Stucky. And um, I did help her with proofreading her fanfics in high school. Um, so, you know, what kind grammar of nerds unite. And so, you know, I just became really excited about Captain America, um, the original Captain America. Yeah, um, in terms of my history, so Captain America, so like, I, I didn't even talk about my history with the MCU, so my MCU history is, I watched Iron Man in theaters, it came out when I was 11, almost 11, I want to say, um, and then I watched the Hulk, I watched all the Phase 1 movies, include, like, I binged Thor and Captain America before um, the first Avengers, and then I saw that in theaters. And then after that, it kind of fell off. Like I watched Guardians of the Galaxy in theaters in Brazil with some friends. And then I saw, like I watched, I didn't watch everything, but I watched some. And then I watched Age of Ultron. I watched, what else did I watch? I watched um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 at one point, Black Panther, obviously. Um, but it wasn't until Endgame, Infinity War and Endgame, specifically Endgame, and Spider-Man Far From Home that I really got back into it. And then with the pandemic, I binge watched everything. Um, and Captain America, the first one, like I enjoyed, um, I mean, Chris Evans is from Boston. So I knew that like in middle school, one of the drama teacher, the drama teacher who claimed to fame was like, oh, she would talk about it all the time. She's like, oh, Captain America. Like I, I was the drama teacher for his brother or whatever at one point. I was like, wow. Okay. Um, but I, I enjoy Captain America. I like Steve. But I also don't love like that at times Captain America can represent this like American idealism that kind of showed itself in John Walker as a character in this show, like this nationalism and the idea that America is perfect, I guess. Yeah, I think that is a really good point that they, these are two versions of American ideals and values. And obviously the truth exists somewhere in between or outside of that because we don't have the America that Steve Rogers sort of represented um, in this like idealism of like this world where diversity is celebrated and we all uplift each other and people are kind and working towards justice. And we do kind of have the more institutionalized nationalism where we even instill in children that like 
the military is doing the best thing for you and you should want to be in the military. You should want to serve your country, which if you want to do that is totally your prerogative. Um, and I'm grateful for the people who have who have served our country. And this type of nationalism is more so linked to the nationalism that ends in violence and anger and destruction, which we sort of see in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, so I, I enjoy Steve Rogers. And like, obviously, I think, I mean, Erskine was a good judge of character because he picked Steve Rogers, who even in the 40s, I feel like, didn't have like a bigoted bone in his body. Like, I think that was fortunate that he picked that kind of person. Um, and he was obviously looking for that person with the super soldier, but like he also missed a ton of like the the civil rights stuff that happened in the 60s. Like he missed a ton of stuff when he was frozen in ice. So um, I think we see that perspective through probably, in my opinion, besides Zemo, Sugar Daddy Zemo, an icon. But the standout of the series for me was Isaiah Bradley. I don't know if you feel similarly. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree. And I think that um, I could think of a few examples of American history where that were pretty representative of what he was talking about um, in terms of um, the United States, whether like, it was CIA or other, um, or FBI or other governmental figures, um, basically infiltrating black communities um, to try and find evidence uh, that they were anti-American or experimenting on um, Black Americans and saying that they were getting um, a vaccine for a certain disease and really they were getting infected with that disease or a different disease. Um, and that's a really dark and really true part of our history. Um, and it's one reason why there's a lot of distrust of the government today. Um, within a lot of minor, a lot of minorities. And hospitals. And in hospitals too, yeah. Um, and that's played a role in a lot of things, including the COVID-19 vaccine rollout um, across various communities, but especially um, looking at some communities that I am involved with, with my social work degree. Um, there's been a lot of conversation about like being as transparent as we can with the process of the creation of this vaccine and ensuring that you are getting the vaccine that you think that you're getting and all the misinformation that travels around that. Um, so I was really grateful that that history was alluded to. Again, this is probably my biggest issue with like these kinds of shows is like, I do wish there was like a guide or like a video, like like they did with 13 Reasons Why, like something afterwards that's like, here's the here's the history behind that yeah this is not just a plot point like this is what happened in america um and we're owning up to it because this is not who we want to be but this is who we've been in the past um and i just wish that there was some sort of guide so that people who don't know that history could learn it because it doesn't i didn't learn about it until i was in university um and that's not also not an opportunity afforded to everybody and I know that in most of the 50 states of the United States, that is not part of the core curriculum. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said. And I, I think there should definitely be resources. Um, 
obviously this isn't the most in-depth but even in the the sphere of Falcon and the Winter Soldier if you want to listen to the Everything is Super podcast Latanya Starks has some examples relevant to historical like situations similar to what Isaiah Bradley went through with like the Tuskegee experiments so I definitely recommend especially episodes two and three I want to say um those she talked about the history in America with um experimentations on black people um especially black prisoners um so yeah we talked about that a little bit in um on the Netflix show Luke Cage as well yeah Um, so if you're into like looking for aspects of true American history um I think that it's a much darker much grittier more explicit version of that in Luke Cage um and that's on Netflix yeah, I think that kind of like encapsulates a lot of one of your statements earlier kind of encapsulates a lot of my feelings on the show. Like the pacing and the writing was very off as an entire project. I feel like it was very like sequential, like, oh, we have to hit all these beats, but they didn't really like take the time and the care into a lot of the beats. And I I was very kind of frustrated. Like they focused more on the flag smashers instead of like Isaiah Bradley which whatever you can like honestly like if you're going to try to make the flag smashers three-dimensional okay but at least try to like make it better like I, I don't understand what their point was and if they're not going to do a good job then at least make it one dimensional and we can look past that like it's not the best writing ever but it's something I can look past to if you if you're going to focus more on telling the story of like what it means to be a black Captain America or what it means to deal yeah. with Bucky's grief or mm-hmm. like even Zemo and like what he's going through like um that might be just my own bias but like uh or John Walker John Walker is a perfect example like I felt very a a lot of whiplash in how they dealt with John Walker throughout the series and I think they could have made a really rich and powerful story talking about like what it means to be in the in the military and the PTSD um and like this idea of like this government created monster and I think that also just thinking about younger people than myself who might not know a lot about the history or not the history, the military. Um, there's a line when in, um, in Walker's trial where they say like, you will be strictly, you won't receive any benefits. And you might be, th- and 10 years ago, I might've thought like, oh, he doesn't get a severance package because I didn't know what benefits come from being in the military. So that means that you can't get access to funding from the GI Bill to further your education. You don't get healthcare benefits. You don't, there's a lot, there's a lot involved in military benefits um, considering you put your life on the line. Um, And that I think helps explain some of the anger that he feels because he has put his life on the line multiple times. He watched one of his closest friends get killed and did kill someone because of it. Um, which is another story, but like he's losing everything that he's worked for and he did it and from his understanding did what he was told to do. And I do wonder if he was given the instructions that Steve like always said about like, we try to kill nobody. I don't know if he was given those instructions because he seemed to believe that killing somebody was within reason if that person killed 
one of his men. I mean, the whole, besides the first movie, like everything else about Steve Rogers' story was like, he wasn't a part of the government. He was doing his own thing. Like when he found out that the government included Hydra, he was like, this system failed me like the system that I believed in. And then Civil War, he literally goes against the government and is on the run for two years by the time we see him in Infinity War. So it's just like this, they're like, oh, the government controls Captain America. But really, you had nothing to do with Steve since like the 40s. Steve did his own thing. Yeah, and I think the one thing that really got to me was this morning I read a tweet that said that the director of Falcon and the Winter Soldier wanted John Walker to be a sympathetic character that we all liked by the end. And he believes that he was fully redeemed or at least he was made likable by the end of the series. Yeah, Clark Stoglin put her foot in her mouth a couple of times this week. I don't know if you saw the, the other stuff, but you, you finish your story first. Oh, I haven't seen anything else, but um, I was just like, I don't find him sympathetic. I think that there was some really interesting imagery with him after he killed um, one of, yeah. The Flag Smasher. Yeah, the blood on the shield. I think that was a really powerful image. I think that that in and of itself was a conversation that explicitly could have happened to really show the differences. Um, I think that, like you said, the nuance issue is really a problem because it felt like it was a story about everyone in the show and not necessarily about any two characters it was more so from the perspective of two characters but it felt that like everyone had a story that could have been its own three-hour movie and because we spent so much time on Don Walker to establish him as this new character who's obviously going to come back um we lost a lot of conversation and nuance around race and it made it so that it and that in and of itself made it seem like a movie that was more virtue virtue signaling than it was about actually making a statement or analyzing or uplifting like stories of black Americans to be put on the screen Um, because it was a lot of you know America's not ready for a black uh, Captain America but there was never a deep conversation as to why it was very much like and viewer who's watching this we know that you know about the black lives matter movement we know that you've been paying attention to the news and i have friends whose little siblings who are like seven years old are watching this and may know about that stuff but definitely don't understand the like the complexity of it or the nuance and when you just say america's not ready for a black captain america and like a couple other lines that's the message that they're getting. They're not getting the message of, but they should be. And this is what we can do to, to change the country so that they are. They're just getting, America's not ready. America hates Black people. And if the show is really trying to create an opportunity to have a real conversation, I feel that that should have been more central. Um, that being said, like, if they didn't include it, I would have been much more mad if yeah. they didn't have anything in it. Um, but it, it's a conversation to be had of like, because they focus so much on this white man who like is trying to become Captain America, who isn't Falcon or the Winter Soldier. And yet he takes up at least 50% of the screen time. Um, We lose 
real conversations and real complexity of these other characters. And again, I think it's this idea that if the man is the center of the movie, it must have action. I'm going to tell you, I fast forwarded through almost all the fight scenes, except for the one where, you know, the, the like, John Walker kills somebody. Yeah. Uh, scene. But most of the other ones I just fast forwarded through because I don't care. Like, it's great action. It's like, I'm so glad that they're that physical and like flexible and everything. But am I getting a story out of that or am I just like watching people fight? Yeah. I mean, the first 10 minutes of the whole show was Falcon fighting. And I was like, why do we care? There's no stakes here. Like, I don't know who he's saving. I don't know what he's doing. It's just like, it felt very like, oh, let's, let's show off our, our CGI budget and our, like, our special effects and our, like, stunt team budgets um, right now. But I think the biggest problem, like, the best encapsulation of the John Walker problem is episodes four and five, he's actively someone that we detest. Like, and, like, throughout the show, like, it's built up, but then, like, he just saves like he he throws his shield on the ground at the end of episode six and he's like pulling the truck up and now he's like buddies with Bucky like there was no layers it felt very one-dimensional like this man killed someone and like I think there is like like you can like make him more sympathetic but he's not a sympathetic figure in this show he can be like more of like a more like like charming anti-hero sort of person but he can't be like the hero that you're trying to make him uh if you don't give good writing because he he has a point like the the military fucked him up and the government fucked him up but then he's still created by the military and that could be like a touch point in itself but he he at the end of episode five it's like oh he he's like unhinged he's gonna do something wild and then at the end of episode six he's like buddy buddy with everyone and then julia julia louis dreyfus is like oh i can make him i can mold him but it's like not really a story about what's going on in his mind and what there's no narrative i feel like it's very like whiplashy i think i yeah and it also like begs the question of like who who gets to accept the apology yeah um because I think Bucky accepting the apology is different in a lot of ways than Sam accepting it, different than members of the government accepting it. Like, I do think that, but again, like we didn't get enough complexity to truly explore that. Um, and the fact that he probably will get his own movie or be a central part of another movie. And we may not get a Sam Wilson centered Captain America movie in a long time is just yeah Navi what do you think about Captain America and American nationalism as a Canadian I mean Captain America does come across very Canadian I think a part of it that I think a part of um what works about Captain America is that the actor is also very similar to him in personality and has like the same sort of views as him too. I wouldn't be surprised if Chris uh, Chris Evans decided to like take some liberty and add a bit more of himself into that. Um, yeah. yeah, I have nothing else to add. 
Um, I guess one thing I would like to, um, I guess, note is, um, and you can cut this part out, Felipe, but like, I was wondering if there's like any sort of like indigenous or like Native American sort of talk in this, considering we're talking about like America and what it means to be American and American ideals and all that. In the show, none at all. Um, however, there are rumors circulating that there's going to be a project after Hawkeye with uh, Maya Lopez, who plays Echo, and that is a Native mm-hmm. American, a deaf Native American character. Mm-hmm. So that is like, I think the first um, Native American or indigenous story that we would get from the MCU, I believe. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but in this show, none at all. Like literally nothing. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll leave you both to your podcast. You don't want to stay in Navi? I, I get it. She doesn't like No, it. yeah, no, you don't have to stay. I'm just kidding. Well, yeah. you come to our I mean, I, I just don't think I'm really prepared to add anything else to this conversation. Yeah, uh, well, but stay I for like plugs. My plugs, I don't know. Follow me on Twitter, I guess. Um, okay, bye. Bye. Okay, so uh, I think similarly uh, with the John Walker writing, I think the Flag Smashers really struggled in the show. Like, supposedly quote unquote because Kari Skoglin then took this and debunked it which I think Kari take take this as a compliment don't don't like be debunking and saying that your show was worse because of your decisions but there was rumors of a pandemic plot line where the flag smashers were gonna give a virus out into the world and that's why it would kill half the universe um but then COVID happened so then they were like let's cut this um, but Kari was like, no, our writing was just bad because our writing was bad. Basically, that's what that's what she said. And I think I, I love Aaron Kelly Man. And I, I like the other Flag Smasher actors as well. But this I don't know, I think they bit off more than they could chew with the Flag Smashers. Yeah, it took me a little while to understand the connection between everything they were doing. Yeah. Um and None of them seem particularly unsympathetic or sympathetic. It just seemed like they existed. Um, yeah. And I don't know, this may be a minority opinion, but there's a show on Amazon Prime called Utopia that came out in 2020. And it's literally about man-made viruses that are being manufactured, particularly to give people like a vaccine that is actually a different illness that will wipe people out. And I thought it was very well made. And the show got canceled because people didn't want to watch it during the pandemic. But it was a very well made show. And I don't think they're doing another season of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So like, who cares if they don't do a second one? Also, they're Disney and Marvel. People are going to like it if they do a pandemic storyline type of thing anyway. I mean, they already did with Thanos, basically. Like, I mean, yeah. Um, but like, like an illness. Yeah, of. I honestly, like, I get why some people wouldn't want to watch that. And I get that completely, like. But I think if it's for stronger storytelling and it makes sense, either cut the Flag Smashers entirely or structural idea, maybe, like, have the Flag Smashers be, like, the big bad for the first three episodes, four episodes, and then revert to, like, some sort of Walker dynamic and make Walker a stronger character through that. Like... We, I don't oh, know. You can I, even do Walker and the and the Flag Smashers. 
Yeah. Or maybe then Zemo, Zemo sneaks out or something and then like he can, he can be above, but I think, I don't know. I feel like this show was very disjointed and I, I do think Malcolm Spellman is talented and apparently he didn't even, did you watch the assembled? I think. Not yet. Okay. Um, assembled basically like, so in that Malcolm Spellman was like, I didn't know how I felt about uh, Sharon being the power broker and like, I yeah. felt very like too much. Like we were doing too much with that. And I kept trying to pull it back, pull it back. And eventually we got to a point where I felt comfortable. I'm like, no, Malcolm's following. And I feel like this is BS. You did not feel comfortable with the amount of times like going in every episode after episode three. I feel like if we just had it episode three and then episode six, it would have been fine. Like we didn't need this constant reminder of Sharon. And I like Sharon. I like Emily Van Camp. I just felt like this, this was like a weird, this was also disjointed. It was the right characters to have her with for the wrong story. Yeah. And I feel that we haven't gotten enough of her almost in like recent MCU things. I mean, her last like, thing was Civil War where she made out with Steve Rogers and got him to S.H.I.E.L.D. And right, I feel like we her. haven't gotten anything super comprehensive about her. So to then have her come in as like another character that clearly is going to play an, an important role later, I feel like there's multiple combinations of what you could do here. You could focus the entire thing on Bucky and Steve, or but not Bucky and Steve. Sam. Bucky and Sam. Uh, R.I.P. Steve. Uh, you could focus the whole thing on literally the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or you could focus it on them and the Flag Smashers, or them and John Walker, or them and Sharon, or any combination of any of those. But you gotta, it's like the triangle meme where it's like pick two. You can't have all of them. Yeah. I, I think it was very, there was too much in the show. Uh, and that said, I loved everything Zemo in this show. Literally, give me more Daniel Bruhl wherever in life he needs so, to be. So, enlighten me. I want to know your perspective on Zemo. I want to know what you like. Oh, he's Sam and Bucky's sugar daddy. Um, well, yeah. No, I just, I, I was think that, sort of like, beyond, I'm like, because I found his character very interesting. I feel like was he like, was having a lot of fun, the actor. And then I think I liked seeing new layers to him. And I think that the fact that we only saw him basically for two episodes and then like a scene in episode five and a scene in episode six, I think we got just the right amount. Um, I do think it was a decision to break him out of jail. Um, that said, I enjoyed everything that we got from him as like in terms of what we saw. Um, I'll be candid. Episode three was my favorite of the show, even though it was probably like not the strongest episode writing wise. It was a little all over the place, but I just had the most fun watching it. I think Zemo was a big part of that. And I, I thought that his stance remained the same. His goal throughout the show remained the same, which can't be said for some of the other characters. Like coming in, he just wanted to eradicate the super soldier serum. And then at the end, we saw his like his butler blow up the super soldiers that were remaining. So it's only basically John Walker left. Yeah, I think three was also like, it felt like the culmination. It felt like it was a turning point which is why it was my favorite. And like, also there's just like so much fun stuff in there. Yeah. Um, and like, I always love when they're like, surprise, we're in a different country now. Yeah. Um, because like, I don't know, I find the United States to be painfully boring, I guess. Um, and also, especially during a pandemic, like I want to see somewhere else. Um, yeah. So that was another thing, like the pan, it was supposed, to, the virus was originally supposed to originate in Madripoor, according mm. to the theories. And Madripoor is an Asian city. Yeah. So that's another another reason. So totally understandable. Um, but like it felt like it was also like this big turning point where like we were going to change the focus of the show. 
yeah. away from perhaps the Flag Smashers. Yeah, I feel like, like if they kept it to like a mystery, like maybe if there were more loopholes to like find the big bad, it was like Sharon, the power broker. I feel like that could have been another direction they could have taken, but. Or maybe like, we don't resolve the Flag Smashers in this series and that's okay. Like we were introduced to them and then they do go undercover because they are that good. Yeah. And Carly gets away and they do like disappear. And then you they can come back in a second season of this show or a different movie or whatever. Yeah. Um, I also really like the scene with Zemo, like the, the layers of like Zemo grieving his family and his son specifically, like the scene with the children and the Turkish delights um, in episode four. I really like that as well. But I just, more Zemo, please. Like it, never kill off Zemo, please. Always put him back in jail whenever you bring him out or something. Um, I do find it fascinating that they keep bringing up that nobody's like mourning Sokovia and that like so much happened and then they just sort of like abandoned the city that they destroyed but then they never follow through with anything related to it yeah I just find that so interesting because it's like very clearly they want something to happen there again or they want people to remember what happened but no one's really forgotten what happened I think so like just constantly bringing up to be like remember you destroyed a whole city of innocent people. I think it would be super cool if then like something big happens in Sokovia. And like very clearly you could make it that like that's the hot spot for like new villains coming out because like that's a very clear origin story for a villain is like you destroyed a whole city. I mean it was Zemo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's very, yeah. It's easy. And like but at the same time like I just think it would be very cool for that to be the epicenter of something else to happen because yeah. they just keep bringing it up in every single movie and show. Yeah, like Civil War. It's not in everything, but it's in a lot of the things like Civil War. Well, they mention it in WandaVision. They show it in WandaVision. Yeah. Um, uh, the show, obviously. They, they like make reference to Sokovia in almost everything after it was destroyed. Yeah. Um, I, I am curious to see. I also love like them going to like specific like universe countries and not real countries. Like I like when they like I'm excited to see. I was I like seeing Madripoor, um, and I like seeing I I expect we'll see Latveria someday. Um, Please, oh my god! Like I just I fi- I also find the world building really creative. Yeah. To be able to say like this is a made up country, but it's drawing from these very real influences. Yeah. Um. And hopefully when they do, I know it, like, it wasn't a huge, like, centered, it wasn't like the setting of the entire show, like Wakanda was for Black Panther, but what they did in Black Panther and bringing in people to make sure that uh, fashion, language, art, like, weaponry, it was all representative of the actual cultures they were drawing from, would be so cool. Uh, And I think, like, we could get some, like, really interesting fusion of cultures in a really respectful way with all yeah. these like made up cities and places and i i hope that they go that route in um, assembled they talked about how magicor was like i mean i think in the comments it's like supposed to be like spain and singapore or like madrid mm-hmm. and singapore but in the assembled they talked about how they like based it off of like some streets in atlanta some like areas of Hanoi in Vietnam and then certain areas of Mozambique like 
stuff, production design, like they like brought those two yeah. together. Um, but yeah, speaking of Wakanda, I enjoyed seeing the Wakandans in the show. Like this, the scene where they beat up all those those men, love that. That said, as much as I love them, do you think it was like too much to include the Wakandans in this? I think it helped with Bucky. Like maybe that scene with Io at the beginning of episode four was, I think that was a needed part of the story. But in terms of like them being involved more than that, do you think it was like too much? So I don't think they could accomplish what they accomplished without the Wakandans. So I think like in terms of like getting the mission done. Yeah. They needed the Wakandans because at this point, none of our superheroes are good enough on their own or even in Paris to do anything without the Wakandans now that we know that the Wakandans are so kick-ass. Um, but I don't think that, I do think that, again, like, if we just focused on Falcon and the Winter Soldier and you brought in the Wakandans because they're related to Bucky, they're, like, Bucky's only, like, quote-unquote family-like relationship because uh, Sam has his sister and, and his and his niece and nephew his, his nephews yeah he has nephews but like the only people Bucky has are the people he met in Wakanda and Sam I think that would have been so great and I think that it would have enhanced the story but I do think again it's just like one of those things of like they wanted to put everything in this six hours and they either could have done six stories one hour each or they needed to tone it back a whole bunch because, like, you could have made a whole episode out of their couple therapy session. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I did love the line that, like, Bucky was, like, I spent 90 years going from war to war to war and had, like, a little bit of solace in Wakanda. Um, and I guess this is, like, a good point. We can start with Bucky and then close out with Sam. Um, so, Bucky in this show, what did you think of Bucky's journey? Like, I, I will say this. I think the show did a good job at when they gave stuff to the, the main characters, they gave them good comedic moments. They gave them good dramatic moments. They gave them good individual stories. And I do think that was, that should be like highlighted despite like the other flaws in the show where they like put too much. I think the core of the show, like what, where they started in episode one to where they ended in episode six, I think those two stories followed, flowed really well and like were well done. Yeah, I think that they gave the they hit all those important moments. Um, I think having Bucky, who is like very much this like representative of like this hyper masculine figure, and having him in therapy, and also like being a social worker who like literally has been in therapy and asked those questions and done those exercises. I was like, of course, this is the go to because that's what they those are the first things they te teach us in my program, are like the miracle question and like staring and like looking into each other's eyes and trying to like think about what the other person is thinking and perspective taking. Um, but at the same time, I think having Bucky go through all of that and starting to unpack all of that trauma was an interesting journey. And I think something that I think is missing from MCU. I mean, I think it's missing from a lot of places, but like in a, just like a moment to sit with those emotions and a moment to let the character define what they're thinking instead of like have us interpret it for our own selves. 
I think it's okay to be explicit with Bucky being like, I had a nightmare where I murdered people and I was the winter soldier again and I didn't like it. And I think a lot of this, and I take a lot of blame. I feel a lot of blame and shame for what I did. And I feel that I should, that shame is like warranted. And I think it's okay to explicitly say that. And I think that we don't say that enough in real life to like open up to our emotions and be so vulnerable, but then to like have it on the screen from a character who very much wouldn't like, we would not expect it from was really great. Yeah. Um, also like, I love that therapist and I'm so glad that they had a therapist that wasn't like, so how does that make you feel? But they actually had someone who worked with Bucky's style. Because that's the other thing about therapy is like the therapeutic relationship between a client and the clinician or the therapist is like super important. And you could easily say like she was too harsh with them or she was too firm, but like they weren't going to listen to her if she wasn't like, shut up, you're going to listen to me, look into each other's eyes, get closer, cut the bullshit. Yeah. Like, and if that's the kind of therapist that someone needs, there's room for that with the understanding that it doesn't cross any lines, obviously. I don't want the NCS, the NASW to come for my degree. Yeah, don't want that. Um, I, the one thing that I wish we got from Bucky was like, I wish they did do like a full scene or at least a little more than what we got with him talking to Yori at the end. I feel like it was like yes. very, like I wanted to see the closure for Bucky and even like how Yori reacted. That said, my fear would have been that they would be like, oh, Yori's like, oh, it's okay. You killed my son, which is, not what we would want but i do think at least like some of the process like and also like sebastian stan is a really great actor he can do that kind of stuff um but yeah i i enjoyed the bucky we got i also loved that like he got to like i loved his interaction with zima at the beginning where he's like oh i was just checking like making sure that like the words went away like i love the progression i do wish they had changed the title to captain america and the white wolf at the end um Instead of like, cause like, I feel like he has, he, he's no longer the winter soldier. He's... And I think if grief was the theme of WandaVision, then forgiveness was supposed to be the theme of when, of Falcon and the Winter Soldier or perhaps atonement. I yeah. think atonement might work, um, but also forgiveness because more so forgiving yourself and being able to move on to what you need to be rather than like, rather than who you were. Um, and while WandaVision truly explored that in every aspect, because they gave themselves time to truly do that in every episode, we got so many glimpses into what this show could have been. And I think that perhaps a groundbreaking form of storytelling is to focus on a theme rather than the plot itself, um, and to let these themes guide these characters because we we know that they can fight yeah. um and what we got from Bucky's self-exploration or his like moments of like really exploring like his relationship to Zemo and others who he had hurt those were really good but they were so cut off at the knees by and now he needs to kick some ass yeah no, to just I make agree. sure that he's still a man, you know, because he's feeling all this like guilt and shame. And I know I'm going at this through a gender lens; I can't help it. But like, it did feel like you know, 
he's in therapy now he has to kick someone's butt because he just felt something strong yeah i mean he did feel something strong for sarah let's be real um which we should sucky cut i i shipped that so much also before we move on to sam and like close out on sam i did want to shout out clay bennett as lamar i did really like him and i hope that he gets to to be in the mcu again not as lamar but like give him another role like he was a minor role i think it's i'm so mad he died Gemma Gemma Chan is gonna be a prominent role in Eternals, even though she was like a low, low important role in Captain Marvel. So I think they can do the same thing with um Clay Bennett. I think give him something else, like let him do something else. I I I, I think it's time that we can like pick our minor characters and give them like another role. Like who cares at this point? Um, and he was fantastic. I hope he gets more. Or work. like pull an Agatha Harkness and like bring him back as a different person because of some like weird Scarlet Witch related magic type thing. True, exactly. Like we've shown that you can bring back other versions of the same person. So why can't you bring the same person back as a different character? Zombies and vampires are eventually coming to the MCU. Let's be real because Blade is coming at some point. So what are the big three? We have- Wizards, androids, and aliens. But- Wow. Yeah. and then also I did want to shout out uh, Joaquin Torres. I'm excited to see him as another Latino character and he's going to be the Falcon. I'm excited for that. Um, now let's close out with Captain America himself, Sam, and also Sarah um, because I love Ed Apero in this show. I don't know if... I thought she was such a delight. Um, she was really good. I love their dynamic, her uh, Ed Apero and Anthony's dynamic together in the show. Um, so we can talk sarah quickly and then move into like sam yeah i find it really interesting the whole conversation about like what happened during the blip and what happened after the blip um and i find that like that is a really interesting storyline in and of itself because it's so real like they don't explore that as like it's this fantasy thing where people disappeared and came back and like oh everything's better again but they actually explore the complexities of like yeah, stuff happened when you were away. People died. Um, the kids grew. The kids got older. Um, this business was failing. Like, we we struggled without you. And now that you're back, we're not exactly just happy that you're back. We're kind of angry because, like, everything failed without you. And now you want to come back and act like nothing happened because for you, nothing did happen. Yeah. And you can't be mad at Sam for wanting things to be the way they were or anyone because... For them, it was like half a second that went by, but it was years for other people. And I find that to be such an interesting dynamic um, that they don't shy away from. And they really do have conversations about that throughout Endgame and throughout uh, this show as well. Yeah, I hope they continue to talk about the ramifications of the blip and like different aspects of it, because that was like some of the best stuff in both these shows. Like. Um, and like I think the Monica scene in WandaVision is probably the most powerful scene in the last few yeah. shows. Um, so yeah, uh, and then I just love Sarah and release the sucky cut. Um, so let's talk about Captain America. Alrighty, so where do we even start? Um, I think, I wish that we had explored more about his Sam's choice to not be Captain America because we get a little like 
you can infer a lot of different reasons why. It was one of his closest friends positions and it feels like he's stepping into a role that wasn't created for him. Then you have the whole idea of I'm my own person. Why like why do I need to be someone else for people for America or the Avengers or the government to see my value? And then you have this intense grief and then you also have the fear of what happens when you have a black Captain America and what are the ramifications of that? And it felt like we got a taste of a lot of those things, but we never like fully, like, I, I don't remember if Sam ever said like explicitly, like, this is why I didn't do it other than like, it's not me, which kind of felt like one of those things where it's like, someone asks you like, oh, why weren't you at the party last week? And you're like, oh, I had something going on, which answers the question, but it doesn't answer the question. Yeah. No, uh, I agree. Uh, I also think, that they they put a lot of things there, but they didn't like realize them. Like what you mentioned earlier, like they set up a lot of themes, but then left a lot of it for the audience to infer. And you talked about this with Isaiah, like the history of what it means to be black in America. Um, and I feel like they didn't follow through enough with like showing what that means to Sam instead of like, just like letting the audience, especially like the white or non-black audience to infer. That. And then you have that, and again, I think of Luke Cage because they did this really well in Luke Cage, but they, and they tried to do it really well here and they did it decently. But the aspect of community building and having such a tight knit like neighborhood community, which for many reasons, including the history of segregation, um, has built really strong neighborhood communities in Black America. Um, and they do that in Luke Cage through the barbershop, for example. Um, but they they started with that. And I think that was like also just a nice, it was nice that the that blackness was not only centered in what America wasn't ready for or what has happened in America's history or what, or only rooted in anxiety, but that blackness was also about building connections to other people and having strong connections with your family and being a human being, um, because we don't always get that. I me. like that they they put him in Louisiana, like put it, it where Anthony Matthews from, instead of like, I know the big scene was in New York, but uh, like, I like that they rooted his character in some new history and cre- fleshed out that character as well. Um, and I think the scene with the police in uh, episode two was like important for people to actually see that like, it happens to black people regardless of their status. Like, um, I know Brooklyn Nine-Nine is propaganda, but the episode Moo is like a big example well, of that. And then there was a short that won an Oscar. I know, talking about the Oscars again, um, but I think it was called Two Strangers or something like that, um, which actually almost scene for scene um, is a copy of a YouTube video that was made by um, an Asian creator a couple years before uh, in conjunction with now this media yeah. or news who helped make the short. So like, that's a whole controversy, but like, and, but anyway, it's about a black man who is basically stuck in this groundhog day of he wakes up and he's trying to avoid a police encounter. Um, and every, and he, every day he tries something new and he still ends up stopped by the police and there's still, and he still ends up killed by the police. Yeah. No matter what he tries to do. 
And I think this takes it to a different level of like, it's not just what you do. It's literally what you look like, not even who you are. Um, and the superficiality of that combined with like the automatic judgment. Um, and then the thought that like saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't know you were Captain, I didn't know you were the Falcon. I didn't know you were Sam Wilson. That's supposed to make it up to Sam. Like nothing's gonna make it up for the fact that you were ready to like pull a gun on this guy and arrest him. Yeah. Like, that saying, oh, so sorry, I didn't know you were a superhero doesn't make up for the fact that you were about to do something bad. A cab. Indeed. Yes. Um, but I, I just loved Sam's journey and I'm excited to see him in Captain America 4, wherever they take him. I hope they like, maybe like try to do less and focus more on the important stuff with like, whether if Bucky's in there, just like focus on those two instead of like focusing like so much on like the background players. And then you can like, you have so much real estate, whether it's the Disney Plus shows or these movies that you can like, you don't need to flesh every single detail out of every single character. Like John Walker can be a part of another story. Uh, like you can, like if, he, if he's gonna be involved, like flesh him out enough for that story, but you don't have to like take away from Sam and Bucky. Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's just the pacing of when things come out, they want it to be, since this is closer to other releases, they want to introduce all these new characters um, but it does seem that there's been just this quick pace of storyline over and over and over again. And it's like WandaVision felt like such a breather. Yeah. And I hope that we get that with Sam because it is yeah. a reset. It is a different character. Um, we got Captain America, the original one. We have a new Captain America, just like when we got a new Spider-Man, we got a new backstory. It's everyone knows the story of Peter Parker. Yeah. Or even Miles Morales, we kind of know the story. Um, even if we don't know all the details. But those movies still added something to the MCU. And I do think a movie about Sam, a movie about Bucky, heck, yeah. even a movie that's literally just about like the government officials that we meet, like just to understand what the heck they're trying yeah. to achieve. We didn't even talk about Julia Louis-Dreyfus, which, iconic casting, but, like, yeah, no, I don't know what her goal is, but, like, is honestly, she? so she's supposed to show up in Black Widow. That's that's what I have come to understand. Honestly, maybe instead of a John Walker show, you could do, like, a Julia Louis-Dreyfus show, and if she's, like, if the theory is that she's, like, recruiting the Thunderbolts or, like, some nefarious group of superheroes, like, Maybe like each episode, like episode one can be about John Walker. Episode two can be about Zemo. Like, and then just like those stories, like condensed and really fleshed out on those characters instead of like, and then she's yeah. just ever present. Like, she's a new character, right? Yeah. So I think she was supposed to appear in Black Widow first. Um, she's, I, I, I'm in the comics, she's been both good and bad. I think she's yeah. supposed to be like this nefarious like entity. Um, she's like definitely not, not pure good. She's like chaotic good at best. Huh. Yeah, I was trying to remember because my memory's not that great of like the details of her storyline. Yeah, it was. Like, I think we'll find out. We'll know more information after Black Widow. 
Yeah, it just seemed when she introduced herself, like we were supposed to know who she was because she was like, oh, actually it's Contessa. And I was like, oh, like maybe if she said Contessa, it was just like spark something in my memory, but it didn't. I think we were supposed to know who she was technically because Black Widow was supposed to come out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this was actually supposed to come out before WandaVision. I think it worked out for the MCU that WandaVision came out first. Yeah, I don't think I would have watched WandaVision if I saw this first. Yeah, even like with the ramifications of the blip, like seeing that Monica scene. But like, yeah, like I didn't even watch Agents of Shield all the way through, and yeah. I was like reluctant to watch anything else that they made because of Agents of Shield and what they did with Agents of Shield. Yeah. So it's like, if I saw this first, I think I would have been like, okay, Disney yeah. Plus, we're taking a break. That said, I'm super excited for Loki. Yeah. So this is that's like probably what we're gonna do next. We're probably gonna do Loki and Black Widow as like a recap on the Brazilian Dragon, uh, just because they like come out sort of around the same time, and then we'll jump around like this is just something that I've wanted to do and I was like I don't want to do a weekly podcast on these shows but like I do want to get my thoughts out on there um quickly let me go through my episode rankings for each show and you can tell me how you think of them and I'll tell you where I place these two in the in the MCU rankings um so what do you want to hear first Falcon or Wanda let's start with Falcon Falcon okay this is purely off of my enjoyment and how rewatchable I feel like the episodes could be um and this is more like there I feel like there's more room for these to fluctuate than WandaVision which feels more concrete but far and away the best episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier for me and the one that I would rewatch every day if I needed to was Power Broker episode three when they go to Madripoor I think best Zima content like story-wise writing-wise it's not the strongest I'll be honest um, but it's the most fun I had watching the show. Episode two is next, which is, let me just find the name of it. The Star Spangled Man. I think this is like another fun episode. Um, I think the show hasn't like bothered me enough at this point. Like I think the first three episodes, I'm like still like giving the benefit of the doubt. Whereas episode four, I'm like, okay, this is like starting to annoy me a little bit. Um, episode two, I really liked Lamar. I thought this was like this was like an introduction to John Walker so we kind of knew what's on and it was also the first Bucky and Sam team up um the only the only flaw no Zemo and no Sarah in this episode that's that's a flaw of the show um episode five is next uh truth I think that's just like does some good character work I think that's the sucky episode um we close out the Zemo storyline we close out the Wakanda storyline so at least like there's some closure that I think makes sense um couldn't really tell you what happens with Carly in that episode um Sean Walker also like I think there's some interesting stuff with like the scene with the government and uh the montage at the end also Louisiana Hero and the Star Spangled Man the drumline version bops on bops on bops um episode six is my next ranked one world one people I enjoyed the finale there were like a lot of things that bothered me but I think visually it was really cool I like Sam's speech the Isaiah Bradley stuff on point Poor Elijah Bradley didn't get anything to do in the show, but I'm excited to see where he does what he does in uh, Young Avengers. Uh, and Sarah was also in that episode, so we like that. Um, episode four is next. Episode four and episode one, I like episode one. I had a lot of fun, but like the first ten minutes really bothered me, um, and I had a lot of questions of like, what are we doing? Like, I kind of wanted to know more. But I think the character work that they did in episode one was really strong. That I almost put it above episode four, but episode four had Zemo. And in the end of the day, Zemo and the Wakandans elevated the episode above episode one. 
uh episode four i think the episode four was the episode that i was like they could have cut a lot of this stuff like i think it was a little repetitive at times um the ending scene very powerful though and anything zemo and wakandans were great but it was like uh it felt a little heavy-handed so uh just to Episode six is One World, One People. Episode four is The Whole World is Watching. And then episode one is New World Order. How do you feel about these rankings? At I feel all? like that tracks. I feel like that's pretty much how I feel too. Um, I think three was just like the strongest episode because we also knew what was going on. Um, and I do feel like towards the end, it sort of tapered out a little bit. But at the end of the day, for most of the first episode, I didn't know what was the, what the premise of the show truly was going to be um and there were a lot of things that were just sort of thrown at us like oh you should like you should know this even though they hadn't quite discussed it before um so I, i'm with you on that yeah um i i just feel like the first few episodes i was like more curious and then as i kind of saw where the story was going i was like oh they're not nailing everything like i would expect at that kind of just a point of that said um also, like, we got to keep in mind, usually with WandaVision, I watched every episode at 3 a.m. With this show, I watched the first two episodes at 3 a.m. And the second episode, I did watch um, kind of delirious after my first COVID shot, which knocked me out. So maybe, like, I was just, like, in a loopier mind state. Um, and then episode three, I watched at 5 a.m. because me and Chappelle were clubhousing until, like, 5.30 in the morning. Um, so, and then four and five, I watched, like, random hours and like the next day so I feel like and then six I watched 3am and I definitely think like watching it when it drops is more enjoyable as an experience for me do you personally. think do you think if Falcon and the Winter Soldier were nine episodes like WandaVision that we would what they did like if they were just gonna draw if it was like episode four where they draw it out storylines just to make it to nine episodes then I would have like preferred like a seven episode instead of a nine episode order but if they could have told a better story like it, like I just think about like everything that we talked about in this podcast like we're like it's too much stuff yeah there's too many stories to tell but I do think in a nine episode se- like season they could tell three distinct stories yeah those stories either, that, either that or cut down on some of the other stories and flush them out in later properties like Sharon didn't need to be super like important in this story uh the flag smashers you could have probably like cut some of their stuff and give a better care definition to John Walker honestly that's like the biggest thing I think uh ask me again after Loki though because that's supposed to be another six hour six mm. episodes order and I want to know if it was just like they tried to bite off more than they could chew or it's like a Marvel TV problem that they're going to start facing um yeah Owen Wilson is going to be on that Lightning McQueen ka-chow like wild um Anyways. You know what? Do you know Lightning McQueen's first name? No. I think it's Montgomery. I looked it up the other day for some reason. I don't remember why. Anyway. I love that. I love that. Um, are you sure that's not Mater? Montgomery Till Mater? Um, Look that up while I start going down my WandaVision rankings. Do you want to go first to worst or worst to first this time? Um, I mean, we already uh, told everyone. It what. is Montgomery Lightning McQueen. Okay. Uh, let's go worst to best. Okay, I and I, say, I, think, I think every episode of WandaVision is easy to rewatch. I think there are, like, I, I probably would watch The Power Broker over some of the lower WandaVision episodes uh, if I had to pick from Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I think 
on part of the WandaVision episodes were stronger. So let's start. Um, the episode that I would probably rewatch the least is filmed before a live studio audience, episode one. And I really enjoyed the episode, but I feel like I like there's not even a ton of like Wanda or Vision characteristics in that episode besides like it's a lot of like oh what is the mystery here that's what I felt in the episode and every time I watch it I have fun and I find something new but I do feel like the characterization of the two characters are a little lacking compared to some of the others like I feel like even episode two which doesn't have a ton of mystery but I still feel like they're more realized versions of Wanda Vision um so Next up, we have episode three, Now in Color. Another great episode. I love it. I love Geraldine. I love that Monica gets to do comedy. I just feel like uh, it was like, I still had a lot of questions and I feel like those feelings reside. Um, and then episode seven is next. I feel like that's the Agatha Long episode, but I feel like just it's just not as strong as the other three, uh, the other ones, even though it's like, there's some good moments. I think it's also a little slower compared to the other ones. Like, and maybe that's a me problem. Uh, episode nine, uh, the series finale is last. I think there was some stuff to be desired from the finale, but the final moments where she says goodbye to the family, like, thank you for choosing me to be your mom, hits every time. Um, I think the finale has high highs, but also some low lows. Like the fight, it's a fight. It's like not super memorable. I do love the Tommy and Billy part of the finale and the Monica stuff, but I feel like the finale could have had some better stuff um was a little disjointed episode two uh don't touch that dial is next that is probably my favorite sitcom episode uh no that's a lie that is my second favorite sitcom episode but uh i think the other episodes with the like storytelling and the mystery box elements are stronger episode five is next which is the one that really does a great job blending the two worlds on a very special episode like i said the acting for the children annoyed me at the first watch um but then they got better. I, the scene where she leaves the hex is like so iconic and great. Um, but the, the other parts of the episode are kind of boring compared. Also the Norm stuff in that episode where Norm breaks free for a few minutes and the fight at the end. Um, episode four is next. Um, we interrupt this program. I think this and then my next episode previously on, which is episode eight, are just like great backstory like they're they're like oh this is kind of we stopped down and explained some stuff that's been happening like episode four was the monica and the explanation of what's happening in the hex and then episode uh, eight is like wanda's life with agatha um and then my favorite episode was the halloween episode um all new halloween spectacular is my favorite episode um i just think it was like malcolm in the middle vibes i loved it uh, I loved the mystery involved. I loved the comedy involved. I think it was all around great. And Tommy and Billy got their powers. Um, yeah. And that's your favorite I, episode too, right? Yeah, the Halloween one was definitely my favorite. And it partially was because Malcolm in the Middle was like my favorite show that I wasn't supposed to be able to watch when I was Malcolm in the Middle, I binge watched my sophomore year of high school on Netflix. I couldn't tell you anything that happened. I just remember loving it. Like in high, like many years later, I like, oh, and then I was Googling stuff. Like I was like, Tanya Raymond is on this show. That's a lie. Like all these people that showed up, like I could remember the char- the main characters names. I don't even remember Malcolm's best friend's name. Couldn't tell you, but I love yeah. the show. <laughs> I love the show. Um, yeah. Also, I think Evan Peters was a standout in that episode. And that was like a very much like what is happening here episode two. Um, and Vision escapes from the hex. Uh, yeah. So 
I'm gonna go through my MCU rankings. We're gonna go first to worst, and I will exclude Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision. Uh, so 23 things on this list. So I'll go through them real quick. Um, and again, this is by rewatchability slash how much fun I have every time I watch them rankings. Um, 23, Thor the Dark World. 22, Iron Man 2. 21, uh, Incredible Hulk. 20, Doctor Strange. 19, Ant-Man and the Wasp. 18, Iron Man. Uh, 17, Captain America, First Avenger. 16, Avengers. <laughs> 15, Avengers Age of Ultron. That, that stuff is going to get me hate. This next one is going to get me hate. Uh, 14, Avengers. Wait, I can't do math. Whatever's next. Uh, 14, Avengers Infinity War. 13, Captain Marvel. 12, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, did I say 12? Yeah, 11, Captain America Winter Soldier. 10, Ant-Man. 9, Thor. 8, Spider-Man Homecoming. 7, Iron Man 3. 6, Captain America Civil War. 5, Guardians of the Galaxy. 4, Thor Ragnarok. Three Black Panther, two Avengers Endgame, and one Spider-Man Far From Home are my rankings. Um, and should we? What do we want to start with? Wandavision or Falcon? Uh, let's go with Wandavision. Okay, I put Wandavision at number twelve now. Uh, Eleven is Captain America: Winter Soldier, and thirteen is now Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I think Wandavision was great. I think there are stronger things in, or things that I enjoy more in the other ones, but like. Everything in my, like, honestly, everything on this list, except maybe, like, the last two. No, the last, no, I, I, w- I would happily rewatch any of these movies, even Throw the Dark World. You heard it here first. Um, and so, yeah, I just enjoy WandaVision. And I think it also is, like, my first experience, like, anticipating every episode or every project um, as a Marvel fan since, like, I was a kid. So I think that might be part of why it's higher compared to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I put at 16 between Infinity War and Age of Ultron. Um, and I know I have Infinity War low. You can add me. I can explain it on another podcast if you really care. But uh, I think it, it has some things that I really enjoy, but then I think overall, like the product leaves some to be desired. That said, I love what they do with Sam and Bucky. I'm Zemo. You can't forget about Zemo. Zemo. Sugar Daddy Zemo. That's the hashtag for this episode. If you listen to the whole thing, please hashtag Sugar Daddy Zemo. Um, Jay, any final thoughts? Um, I think that I might have enjoyed WandaVision probably more than I've enjoyed anything from the MCU in a really long time. I'm talking like way back. Yeah. Um, so I probably would have ranked it a little higher, but I mean, I just had the most fun and also just a lot of thoughts, a lot of internal thinking uh with WandaVision and I haven't laughed and been so introspective with a show in so long, probably since Lost. So I just really love that about WandaVision. Um, and I'm really hopeful for what they can do with Sam and Bucky and Zemo and everyone else in the future from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, I didn't have as much fun watching it, but I, I have faith that they can still do some really great things with those characters. Yeah, I do too. Um, anyways, where can people keep up with you, Jay? So you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is jmanji underscore. That's J-A-Y-M-A-N-J-I underscore. Like Jumanji, but my name is Jay. So yeah. You can also follow my cat on Twitter. Uh, that's my kitty Vinny. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's my kitty Vinny. Um, Vinny is spelled V-I-N-N-I-E. 
I just post really cute pictures of my cat and I feel like great Twitter follow yeah I just feel like everyone needs a bright spot in their day so if you like just getting cute pictures I highly recommend following my cat on Twitter and if you don't no worries we can still be friends yeah um and then you can follow the Brazilian dragon at Brazil dragon pod you can follow my name at what the fleep and yeah we'll have more content coming out uh enjoy everything that we release um and you can listen to what you're doing as well what you're doing pod anyways if you listen if you got to the end of this episode hashtag sugar daddy zemo maybe tell tweet at daniel brule and tell him that you love him and otherwise release the sucky cut bye everyone Sparky too.